Welcome to Dragon Talk, everybody! Yeah! Yeah! Yes! Very Dragon excited, Talk! As always, to welcome our studio audience. Hello! Hello! Hey, what's up? I love you, Greg! Woo! <laughs> and of course, Shelly. Hi, Shelly. Hi! Our oh, hi. Nice We're to be here. Very excited to be here for the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I'm Greg mm-hmm. Tito. And yes, we are. are here talking about all the fun things going on in the Dungeons & Dragons world. we got a great episode for you, including an interview with Markia McCarty, a yes. wonderful streamer and actress and professional host, uh, tabletop role player and game master and dungeon master uh, extraordinaire. And uh, I can't wait to pick her brain about all the things that she is doing. Yes, Uh Quite a few interesting things in her bio that I am, you know, of course, stood right out to me. So we'll get to that uh, yeah. as well. Been following her on Twitter for a long time, so I get to uh, embarrass her with all of my knowledge of her <laughs> things nice. going on. Don't you know? Just try not to do it in like a creepy way, right? Exactly. We don't want we don't want to scare our guests away. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Like I was just trying to scare you while sneaking up to the microphone in my dark office. And you're under dark. My underdark office, exactly. <laughs> uh, and we're also going to hear from James Hake, who we've had on the show many a time. He is a co-lead on Critical Role, Call of the Nether Deep, which is coming to stores and everywhere uh, this March fifteenth. So by the time you're listening to this, it will already be probably in your hands or close to it. So that's very exciting, and he's going to give us some fun lore around some of what is in that book. Some things that critters don't even know about. Oh, you're going to get an earful. That's right. As well as hopefully ways you can use the material in that book to, uh, you know, just improve your your homebrew game. Set it in Critical Role's Xandria Universe whole cloth or uh, pick apart all the fun pieces and monsters and underwater beasties that we've been showing (laughs) off uh, in this book. They look scary. They do look scary, and it's um, it is a book chock full of inspiration. Because look at the people who worked on it, right? You know, that's a good dream team there. So, right, Perkins, Hake, and Mercer, as well as uh, so many of the fun designers and graphic artists who did work for the book. So, can't wait for that. Devin Rue. Ah, oh, the maps. Just yeah, give me a map any time of the Just day. Give me a map. My kingdom for a map. <laughs> Uh, or a map of your kingdom. Ooh, I would like that too. Even cooler. Yeah. Well, All right. let's let's go ahead and uh, dive right into the Nether Deep, shall we? Mm, be careful. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and this is the segment where we jump into specific parts of Dungeons & Dragons lore so that you can use it in your game and enhance everything that you're having at the table, as well as just because it's fun to know this stuff. And I'm so excited because I have my friend James Hake here to talk about some of the background and lore in Call of the Netherdeep, uh, which is coming. Well, it'll be out, I think, by the time you're here listening to this. So, hi, James. How are you doing? Hey, Greg. I'm doing great. It's good to see you. It's good the you middle too. of a beautiful day, and there's no better time than a gorgeous day in Seattle to talk about uh, the creeping darkness at the heart of the critical role world of Exandria. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, it's a big, big contrast between, you know, 
beautiful landscape to how it can all be destroyed so very quickly. Oh, yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Matt Mercer has created the world of Exandria for Critical Role. And part of that funness for me is seeing how he has reinterpreted some of the uh, deities uh, that have been in existence as well as introduced new ones uh, to folks. And so I thought maybe finding out a little bit about uh, the storyline of those deities and those gods would be a really great jumping off point for people to lo- know more about this universe. So I'm going to ask you straight up, who are the betrayer gods? Yes. So the adventure call of the nether deep is really rooted in the mythic past of Exandria. All of its story beats kind of start back there. And one of the major threads of why things are, are messed up for our heroes in the present day is because long ago, uh, a faction of gods split off from the rest after the sort of founding of the world was completed and decided, you know what? Screw sharing. Uh, let's, uh, these mortal peoples don't deserve the beauty we've given them. I think, I think we ought to run this show and these gods, uh, betrayed their, their fellow creator deities and, and started gathering power hungry worshipers to their side. And while all of these gods were very, very powerful on their own, they weren't very good at working together. That's kind of the fatal flaw of evil is they're, they're all kind of selfish and avaricious and they, they can't help but uh, give in to infighting and scheming and uh, always watching their back because they know someone else is going to backstab them just like they're playing to backstab the next guy. And uh, that kind of balances out the, the the tremendous power that they that they're able to wield, and in uh, in the world of Exandria, there was a great war between the betrayer gods and their allies, and the prime deities and their allies as well. And it, it sort of it began to consume all of the world. This calamity. Mm. Uh, great artifacts were made to uh, allow mortal beings to fight kind of on the same level as gods. If you're a big Critical Role fan or you've read um, Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, you'll know about some of these vestiges of divergence that uh, uh, truly powerful magic items that kind of resonate with the power inside one's own soul and unlock greater and greater abilities. And those were created by the prime gods, I would assume, to try to help fight the Praetorian gods? Well, uh, yes, some of them were. But ah. there are also very many uh, vestiges of divergence that were created by evil gods as well. I see. Um, uh, if you've seen Exandria Unlimited, uh, one of Critical Role's newest shows uh, that uh, Abria Yangar DMs instead of Matt, uh, mm-hmm. the... Uh, uh, a vestige created by Loth, the Spider Queen, uh, plays a pretty pretty interesting role in that one. Okay, super cool. So it's a way it was a way for mortals to try to be involved in this with such uh, divergent power uh, going on there. Cool. Yeah, exactly. So Loth is one of the betrayer gods. Mm-hmm. Um, who if who you, are some of the other ones? Yeah, if you crack open your Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, you'll see a pantheon called uh, Dawn War Deities. And back in the early days of Critical Role, uh, those were the deities that Mad Mercer pulled upon to make up his uh, pantheon for Exandria. 
And uh, now let me see if I can remember them offhand. If not, I'll crack open my book and take a look. <laughs> but uh, there's nine betrayer gods, which include uh, Asmodeus, Lord of the Hells, uh, Torog, the Crawling King, Sahir, the Cloaked Serpent, uh, Loth, the Spider Queen, Tiamat, the Scaled Tyrant, that's all right. That's right. So, so uh, some of the biggest the heavy hitters. One. I'm at six out of nine. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're, you're, you're failing at trivia here. You're not getting the uh, yeah. the bonus points uh, for getting them all. But you got six out of nine. That's good. Yeah, there's you in the chain to oblivion. Oh, there's there's a couple of more in there. Um, but within the world of Exandria, one of the realms that Critical Role traveled to in Campaign Two was kind of the Betrayer God's home base. Mm. Um, and the reason why the wastes of Jorhas, this realm uh, that once belonged to the Betrayer Gods, are you know a, a devastated, desolate, scarred wasteland is because so much uh, terrible, terrible fighting uh, went on there. And uh, of course, the, the war covered the kind of entire uh, landscape of Exandria, but uh, Jorhas is where the fighting uh, oftentimes is at its very worst. Oh, I see. So when the calamity was actually being fought, it was in Zorhas uh, when it was being fought. Was, and that's was, where some of the worst battles of it were fought, yeah. So was the Zorhas like a nice, lush, temperate zone beforehand, <laughs> and then now it's been scarred like this? Yeah, there, there's actually, I, I think there's at least one illustration in Netherdeep uh, that shows a little bit of Jorhas before it was overtaken mm. by the calamity, and and yeah, you can see it's it's really quite a beautiful landscape um, that has now you know it, it, Jorhas is still beautiful, but it's in kind of in a stark, desolate way now. Like I imagine if you're if you're coming off the edge of the Rocky Mountains uh, here in kind of the American Plains, right? There's not a whole lot of uh, uh, vegetation, features, vegetation, but. Uh, that's kind of yeah. Well, we'll get more on Zorhas uh, in a deeper dive later on. But I, I just, I just love that it, that was the battleground, and then it has this like actual physical scar on the land from this calamity. Yeah. So, uh, so these betrayer guys broke off uh, and started this this fight to try to control. Who were some of the main characters on the uh, uh, the deities on the on the side of against the betrayer gods? Mm. Um. There are there are a number of them that have become important in the stories of Critical Role. I'll focus on those. Yeah. Um, if you've seen The Legend of Vox Machina, which uh, the animated series that uh, just came out, mm-hmm. one that you would have heard a lot about would be the Dawnfather, Paylor the Dawnfather. Um, there was historically a great clash in... Uh, Percy de Rollo's home city of Whitestone between Paler the Dawnfather and Therizdun the Chained Oblivion. Mm-hmm. And uh, without spoiling Legends of Vox Machina, if you haven't uh, seen it, uh, the Dawnfather left behind a great gift to the people uh, or, or to, to the land where this battle was fought. And eventually uh, this, this great tree, this sun tree became a beacon uh, that, that drew people kind of kind of scattered across the lands of Taldore into this place. And uh, there's a whole lot of very cool stuff that goes on in Whitestone throughout uh, Critical Role's campaign one. And in many ways, the Dawnfather is kind of a patron to uh, to all the people who've gathered around the century. That's cool. I love, I love how we're describing this. This makes me feel like the Trojan War in our, in, in our <laughs> mythology, right? Like there's this idea that these, these two these sets of gods 
were on different sides, but it was also fought by mortals in this mortal way with patrons mm-hmm. and, and, and magical uh, blessings and things like that. And it's like yeah. very, very reminiscent of it. It's very much like that, but I think even sort of taken up to eleven because yeah. you, if you were if you were a, a hoplite foot soldier in um, in this calamity, you probably would have fought battles where literally you could see these titanic gods, uh, you know, standing like a colossus astride rivers and mountains, mm-hmm. duking it out while the world sort of trembled uh, in the wake of their conflict. That's so cool. And is that yeah. is that in in the the conceiving of the story? Is that thought of as actually something that happened, or, and there were these large things, or is it those the legends that have been passed down, and then nowadays <laughs> that's what people are saying? Um, Matt Mercer likes to keep the cards pretty close to his chest on uh, myth and legend within Exandria. Uh, mm-hmm. He just like I really like the idea of people interpreting the past and drawing their own conclusions from it. But I think I think it's fair to say uh, that in Critical Role, at least to a certain degree, the way that the gods fought on the surface of Alexandria was a literal thing that happened. That's cool. Right, because there's um, the evidence of the actual uh, exactly. scars of, of the battle there, as well as the vestiges that you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the calamity happens. Uh, who wins? <laughs> how, does, how does it conclude in, in the legend? It ends in a really dramatic way uh, because the prime deities who are, right, they're, they're selfless gods. They're, they're creator gods. They're giving gods. Um, they realize that they are essentially at a stalemate with their rivals. This mm. war will continue until Alexandria has been ground into dust and all life that they worked so hard to create has been wiped away. Um, and as much as they love their creations, as much as they want to be by their children's side and help shepherd them into a new age, they realize that that simply can't be. Uh, and so they decide to create a gate. They uh, force their rivals or, or their enemies, I should say, mm-hmm. the betrayer gods back into the outer planes and go along with them and erect a divine gate that prevents any divine force from exerting direct influence upon the material plane. So now all the gods have their own domains out in the outer planes. For instance, uh, Pelor has a domain in uh, in Celestia or Elysium, I, I forget. Uh, exactly which one, but all the gods have their their place where they reside. The, the Raven Queen, for example, resides in the Shadowfell, much like it does in much like she does in sort of standard D and D lore, right. and kind of keep keep the balance from afar. Clerics still uh, worship the gods from the material plane and are granted sort of bits of divine power. That power can pass through the material plane, and even when summoned by you know, suitably powerful uh, clerics and so forth, uh, celestials and fiends and agents of the gods can pass through the divine gate. But the gods themselves are forever barred from directly influencing uh, the activities of uh, the mortal world. Got it. And that was that was the final result of the calamity. They're like, look, we, we were able to best them and trap both of us behind, you know, this gate to allow uh, Alexandria to flourish on its own. Yeah. One really big 
thing about critical role uh, that shows up in basically every campaign so far are powerful visions from the gods to their clerics. Uh, Yasha in campaign two receives visions from Kord the Stormlord a number of times. Uh, in the Legends of Vox Machina series, Pike receives visions from uh, from Ray the Everlight. And these are these are really like trials and messages that gods send to the people who uh, have a have a great destiny awaiting mm-hmm. them. And uh, as these trials continue and, and as these clerics and uh, other faithful try to prove themselves and, and exact their will upon the world of Exandria, um, they can they can push forward and push forward until they become closer and closer and closer to true divinity themselves. And at a certain point when when things in the world are, are most dire, uh, these, great heroes that have proven themselves in the eyes of the gods can be uh, anointed as champions. Mm. Now we've seen the prime deities uh, kind of bestow fragments of their power in the, in, in these sort of uh, anointing rituals uh, several times in the critical role media. We've never actually seen it happen where the betrayer gods kind of select a champion to do their bidding. I, I, I don't know if we'll ever, actually see it happen. It seems a little bit like the, the, the character of the Betrayer Gods is so selfish that they would never Share willingly give up even a shard of their power, yeah. even if it meant true victory uh, on the face of Exandria, just because they, uh, they, they can't bear to, to give up even a little bit of what they have. I love that kind of like, you know, sinister six kind of feeling of like there's all <laughs> these, they're, they're, by convenience, they're all working together, but they actually really just want to be the one in charge the whole time. Uh, yeah. This, uh, I, I like that you bring this up. Uh, when we talk about Bazozan in another segment, uh, yeah. I think that'll become really, really relevant. That makes sense. Uh, cool. Well, and uh, the champions and the and the, mis- and the messages and the things that are, are come, I think that's really interesting too because this is one of the things that I love about, about Matt's work is that he interprets so many different parts of fandom out there so that just reminded me of Tolkien mm. and the mm. Silmarillion and the, the the departure of the Valar and how they're no longer mm. able to uh, you know physically manifest in Middle Earth but their servants do and their Maiar do and then they're able to to kind of help out a little bit uh, against some of the powers of darkness and I see some of that kind of uh, you know in, in how you're describing the, yeah. the way the prime deities are able to reach through that gate still which in turn uh, kind of goes back even to the Trojan War and the Iliad, like you were yeah. talking about earlier, gods becoming, you know, patrons to people who uh, curry their favor. Um, it's interesting you, you brought up the Iliad because there's there's a character uh, who, who I can't say much more about in this adventure uh, for fear of spoilers that is, is very inspired, uh, in, in my mind at least, by one of the uh, central characters of the Iliad, um, nice. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so basically, we're giving people homework here. Like, go read <laughs> if you haven't read the Iliad yet, kids. Go and read it now. It's very interesting. If you must, go watch that movie Troy uh, with uh, <laughs> with Brad Pitt as Achilles. At least does a decent job of showing some of the some of the war, but not not so much about the god stuff, but. <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> a lot of this is all there. Uh, so yeah, super interesting. Uh, go go play Hades. Go read Song of Achilles <laughs> by Madeline Miller. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Listen to Hades Town as you're doing all those things. <laughs> it's all there, kids. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it's it all it all feeds itself. Um, I love all that. Uh, there's, there's three prime deities uh, that are, are really, really important to kind of the backstory of Call of the Netherdeep. Yeah. If you have uh, Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, the last Critical Role book that uh, the Wizards published, um, I, I'd really recommend that you uh, learn a little about learn a little about these three deities: about uh, Avandra, the Changebringer, mm-hmm. Sehenine, the Moonweaver, and Corellin, the Archheart. Uh, these three deities kind of uh, they have something of a more more active role in Exandria uh, a, a, as much as they can, given the fact that there's a divine gate preventing them from from directly influencing actions, and especially during uh, the the Great War of the Calamity itself. Um, can you give a quick like one paragraph yeah. summary of each one of those? Yeah, so Setting in the Moonweaver is a goddess of trickery and like sheltering darkness. Um, she she has a sort of light and darkness vibe to her, but not in the sort of way that we think of light as good and darkness as evil. Her moonlight is sort of soft and gentle, and when when she casts down shadows upon people, it's it's to it's to allow them to do good unseen, to protect them from from the eyes of those who would want to do them harm. Mm. Um, Avandra the Changebringer is a capricious, uh, kind-hearted goddess who uh, who is kind of a spirit of revolution. Um, when the betrayer gods, uh, people like uh, Asmodeus in particular, you know, impose tyrannical order, the Changebringer is often a voice that whispers through the streets and calls for for dissidents to bring down that which is evil. Good trouble. Yes, good trouble indeed. Um, and lastly, Corlin the Archheart, they are uh, a, a deity of elves, who uh, elves and magic, who has a very interesting relationship, just like in uh, traditional D&D lore, with a betrayer god called Grumsh, Grumsh the Ruiner, um, who has kind of traditionally been seen as the patron uh, a god of orcs and conquest and slaughter. And uh, because of the way that... Uh, Elves and orcs and their gods are a little bit uh, a little bit different in Exandria. There's stories in the Calamity of how uh, the first orcs were born uh, literally out of a conflict between Corlin and and Grumsh uh, when the elven god uh, stabbed out the ruiner's eye, uh, leaving him sort of a, a one-eyed giant monster. And in the in the uh, content of Marquette, which features a little bit in uh, Call of the Netherdeep and prominently in Campaign 3 of Critical Role, you'll find that there are actually a lot of societies where uh, where things that I, I think in very, very traditional fantasy are associated exclusively with elves, you know, uh, magic and knowledge and sort of grace and beauty. Uh, actually uh, involve a coming together of elvish and orcish culture. Because Mm. uh, in in Marquette, uh, along with some other places around Alexandria as well, they really see themselves as one people uh, where they've, you know, people have tried to divide them 
uh, because of the events of the calamity, but they they really see each other as kin, uh, despite everything that these gods who tried to make themselves patrons of these people and try and tried to pit them against each other, uh, even though they tried so so hard to do this, uh, the mortal people refused and they made themselves allies. Interesting. I love yeah. I love taking things that are thought of as. Um, you know, tenants of D and D lore and mm. turning it on its head, and mm. so that story of Grumsh, you know, and 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 Corellin putting out Grumsh's eye, and that's why he's one eye. Uh, you know, it's something that many D and D players know out there. But here's a yeah. new spin: is that they are actually that was what the schism of these two peoples came from, and then you know, yes. perhaps through the actions of player characters, uh, whether they're dramatized in front of a camera or not, uh, mm-hmm. could, could unite those people once again. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's really uh, an interesting take on new stuff. And I think that's what makes uh, this world so interesting uh, mm-hmm. to me, to be able to, to learn more about. So thanks, James, for coming on and telling all about the the you know some of the important deities in um, the critical world universe of Exandria, and I love that you're giving hints of what's to come for people who play through Call of the Nether Deep, uh, and uh, hopefully they can they can learn more about this this story through that adventure. Thanks for having me on, Greg. Uh, so if people want to, I mean, you are a, a co-lead on one uh, on this book, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, your fingerprints are all over it. Um, how, <laughs> how can people find out more about uh, you and your work? Um, if you want to find me, uh, find me on Twitter at James J. Hake. Uh, I, I love to just sort of rant about what I'm working on as, as best as I can. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, James, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Always a delight to talk to Mr. Hake. Uh, he is a powerhouse of RPG creation, and uh, his enthusiasm for all the stuff in Nether Deep is palpable. Right? And just the enthusiasm in general. Just, I, I predict big things for that young man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you heard it here first. It's coming, coming down the pipe. Yeah. Uh, so very exciting there. And now let us turn to Markia McCarty. Let's welcome Markia McCarty to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay! Very excited. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. <laughs> We are as well. Uh, you, I know you have a love of all things nerdy, and I'm just admiring the background that is behind you right now that kind of speaks to that in the best possible way. Yeah, it's got a little bit of everything. Everything from, obviously, Marvel, DC, Transformers, Pokemon, uh, some of my tarot collection up here, and, and then, of course... Uh, uh, a hint of uh, all my TTRPG and board games that I do. Beautiful. Yeah, because you are a, uh, just a, you know, multi-hyphenate, I guess is the word that people use in, in entertainment now, right? You do so many things. What are, what are you know, there's the, uh, you know, TTRPG uh, streaming and, uh, you know. Hosting. Uh, hosting, all that stuff. So, yeah, what's, uh, what, what is driving you to kind of take up this, this uh, mantle here? Uh, well, um, I was a military kid mm. and, um, with being a military kid, mom was in the Navy. So we traveled, uh, like different places all in Europe. My, that, that was my childhood. Something that they, you don't know unless you're a military kid is that you don't, you can't just 
you live in Spain, you know, at the time, uh, you can't just go out into Spain and expect to be able to have the same American culture or uh, nerdery that you would have here with being able to go get something online or go just walk to a comic book shop. So being a military kid, you had to take your little nerddoms with you. And then if you wanted to connect with other people, you like shared your nerddoms. So you would talk someone into liking your kind of nerdery and they would talk you into liking their kind and then you'd swap and then you'd move and it process starts all over again. So because of that, I got really good (laughs) at absorbing other people's uh, nerddoms into my own Mm. and really wanting everyone to just become as big a nerd as possible so that we could talk about everything. And then that's, that's just become my life in a different form. A, a awesome. global nerdum, like a collection of global nerdums. I love it. Which <laughs> I, my husband is a grew up a, a military kid as well, and he said that he was so grateful he had D and D because that was like this connection point that he had. Every time he moved, he would just seek out those D and D kids, and and then like you know have that that friendship group formed. Did you find that? Something similar with like just, you know, the fandoms and the, and the, the nerdums, like there's, are, there's nerds all over the world. Did you find that you were gravitating to these people and, and that helped you form these friendships as well? Well, I, I would just gravitate towards people that had a strong passion in something. So mm. then I would see whether or not it was a fit for me. So that's why I, like when I first started professionally hosting, it was with wrestling because when I was a kid, I loved wrestling, like had the wrestling magazine and, and just, I, you know, watched all the pay-per-views and everything. And that was simply because of this one kid in London who was so incredibly passionate about it. I was like, I've got to check this out. And I loved it and I've loved it ever since. So I mean, not so much gravitate towards a particular group so much as someone who's just like, this is, you know, this is the ish and I want to tell you why. And I'd be like, great, I'm going to listen. Yeah. That's That's kind of like what we do as podcast hosts too. It's just like, let's find the people who are passionate about what they're doing and elevate them and, you know, get them excited about what's going on too. And so you're doing that as well as a host for for a lot of these, these fandoms now. Like how... How does that feel, you know, looking back at where you started and um, being like, you're kind of doing that same thing and finding those passionate people? Uh, It feels pretty good uh, because like, and I'm pretty certain it's going to happen that moment, even during our conversation, where we're going to hit that moment of like peak nerd, where we're going to be like, (laughs) oh yeah, this, and oh yeah, this thing right here, it connects with that. And that feels so good. And being able to just do that with anybody, no matter their status in life or where they are on a social ladder or whatever, it's it's like we're all really big, deep nerds inside, whether mm-hmm. that's something like D&D or whether it's something like somebody with, with uh, 90s shows, like they love home improvement <laughs> and everything about it, for instance. <laughs> I've yet to meet that person, but... (laughs) They're they're out there. They are out there. You need to dig deep on Reddit, and I bet you can find a little little cluster of eight or so of them. Everybody's got Uh, that avatar with that neighbor looking over the fence (laughs) thing. That's my guy. Uh, Wilson. Wilson. Oh, my gosh. We found one. There it is. There's a... No, literally literally just connected a a synapse for me. Synapse. (laughs) 
I could see you pulling that thread out of your brain as you were trying to come up with that name. That a strange character. We never saw his his whole face. Right. Yeah. I remember seeing, you know, when the cast comes out. Oh, now this is how my mind works. I remember seeing when the cast comes out, the actor even held up a little fence no around their face. Yeah. Just so you could recognize them. Now, how funny and how pressing that is now with everybody wearing masks and stuff. Like That's, that's what people now see is just the eyes. Yeah, but true. pay way more attention to the eyes now than I ever have. Absolutely. That's true. Yes, these kids these days are going to grow up and have like this really intense eye contact. <laughs> that's like all they, their formative years. God, yeah. turn it off, kid. Come on. <laughs> That, is that makes me think of like horror and thing things too. Because yeah. So much. My my wife is a uh, uh, you know takes care of kids that are like age one to two, and then she constantly is saying how much more uh, just locked in they Duh. are to uh, the emotional well being as well as being scared by your kid uh, coming in the door. I'm not kidding. Oh, it's the kid. <laughs> Super tense. Like I must really have been like fully like preparing myself. Ah, where's your checkbook? Get out of here. Where's your checkbook? (laughs) This is a horror story right now. Where's your checkbook? Um, Crawls in. Hey, how does he know what a checkbook is? That's. I don't know. This whole thing is just so weird. Like the fact, like I just felt like a chill behind me. And then turned around and saw that slithering child come in. I thought it was puppy trying to get out. I never even heard him come home. That's wow. Um, So I wonder how much kids now are going to be in touch with the horrors of of our world uh, during this, this time. I didn't hear what you were saying, Greg. Aaron said that these kids are so... And then locked in to uh, the emotional information you get just from people's eyes. Like she can be smiling or scowling and they know from the eye movements. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting that it is, you know, you think that they're they're not getting the full amount of information, but they're almost getting more information because they are uh, having to be so locked in. Yeah, it's like, um, I don't know, social evolution and progress. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. I'm so curious. So curious about the future and how we all how we all end up after this after these two years. What has happened to us? So do you ever use that when you're um uh running games or or doing uh things like how how do you uh approach um you know uh, topics like horror or things like that and and do are you the type of dungeon master or or game master that uses voices and 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 really get into character? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, I, because of my improv work, I've, I've gotten a pretty good tuned sense of uh, reading the room. And I also make sure ahead of time about safety, X card use, uh, line and veils is very important to me because I, I like to dabble into the emotional aspect of things. I'm not just a, a D&D or a game master that's like, combat, combat, combat. Let's flirt at the tavern. Combat, combat. Here's some treasure. That, you know, that'd be good for like a one shot. But it's like I, if I'm doing a campaign, I'm going to delve into like flashbacks of these characters. Sometimes I'll do it in the middle of a battle. And then we'll be like, okay, so you've just had this, you know, flashback with this characters. Like you're, you're, you're fighting a bunch of kobolds, but that 
you know, took you back to when you're a middle child for, you know, your family and um, you were always disregarded uh, kind of a thing. And then, uh, you know, going into that with the person and be like, okay, now we're back at battle. How does that color your play? Mm. Mm, That's really cool. I love that. Like things like that. But I, I be careful, you know, like I said, with lines and veils and everything like that, we'd be careful of a uh, PTSD type uh, things because, you know, want that open communication. But yeah, uh, putting putting in that different layer of character, of being able to explore that character and then be able to go back into an action context. I love doing that. Like I, I dine out on that. <laughs> There's yeah. so many great TV shows too that do that really well that that people can emulate, right? Where like it's it, the, the the drama of what's happening in present time is important, but it becomes so much more informed by having those flashbacks be weaved through just that you know episode there, uh, and it informs what's happening. And I love being able to do that in a in a D and D setting and environment. Um, yeah. So how do your players respond to that? Do they do they jump into it and 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 embrace it? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't ran into anybody that didn't enjoy that play now, because like, I'm also thinking about it. It's a, it's a spotlight on that character. Mm. Uh, And then also they get to decide how much of themselves they want to put into that emotional background or how much they want to release into that. And then, you know, when it comes back to it, we still do flirt at the tavern, combat, combat, combat. So, you know, it's it's still that. And then with all these wonderful subclasses uh, that are coming out, like I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, I think it's Tomb of Heroes uh, that Kobold Press is putting out. Like just all these beautiful subclasses where he's just like, yeah, let's be a time blade, but let's be a time blade that had a great family life, but now <laughs> is having horrible times in their adventures. So That's I cool. think it's it's an interesting way to for... You know, even newer players that maybe aren't sure what what's expected of them when it comes to that character development and and how to you know kind of flavor their backstories in such a way to to ask them to kind of, to go through that exercise. I feel like it's I think that could be really powerful for them as well. Yeah, I mean it's not outside the realm of I'm I'm not a psychologist or a therapist in any way, shape, or form. I just love to talk to people. Uh, and have talked to people professionally and informally, casually, all my life. And uh, with that, I don't see any scenario where that wouldn't be a good tool to utilize for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, D&D is not only an escape, uh, it's an outlet. You know, uh, some most people that I've run into are able to utilize it in a good way, you know, in a uh, cathartic way. And then there's others that don't. And, you know, so those are, you know, some can be teachable moments where it's like, okay, yeah, no, we're not going to label this character of this certain race with all of these derogatory things. And here's why we're not going to do it. And then other times it's like, okay, well, that's way too much that goes into harassment and we're just going to stop. Yeah, right now. So, you know, all depending. It it brings out a lot of the inner self. And that's something that I love about D&D. Sounds yes. really similar to, you know, you mentioned tarot cards. Uh, and uh, earlier, before we started recording, you were talking about being a medium and, and all that <laughs> stuff. And it sounds very, like you bring a lot of that same energy to, to, to being a dungeon master as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm a, a witch tarot reader and also medium. And with that, I, it's a different dimension to add to your play. 
Like for instance, let's say you have a game master that uh, when you're going into a tavern, they have a certain candle that they light whenever they go in. And then there's that sense memory of, oh, this uh, sandalwood and brine is us in a tavern setting. Uh, or they have mm-hmm. this, you know, they have might have a different one or they have a uh, layered music. They might introduce poetry um, as a concept into it. Or if you are a bard character, they expect for you to actually like write songs or perform or, you know, there might be a huge RP element with it. I just consider it being a spiritual element that you can add into your characters. It can be uh, anything as basic as, you know, sun chart astrology where someone can be like oh i'm this character is such a virgo i'm gonna play them like (laughs) they need lists uh they're extremely (laughs) logical they withhold their feelings but they feel a lot you know so it's like great you know that that sounds i don't see any reason why you can't go ahead and utilize that in a character uh and i i do that sometimes with like uh crystals or incense uh, kind of thing, you know, back in the before times when we could run games in person with right. uh, with each other, uh, the long, long ago, you know, <laughs> <laughs> 10 years ago or whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, why not? Why not go the extra mile? Why not try something new? Why not find something else in your character in a different way that way? So, yeah. And sometimes it's not for everyone and that's cool, but sometimes it is. And you won't know until you try it. And that's D&D. I like that. that that's true of all things, right? Like you got to throw out some improv. And uh, as anyone who's done improv knows, sometimes it's not funny or it doesn't work. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> as long as you trust the, the people that you're with. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And also like taking elements from everywhere and seeing how you can fit them into your game. Just, you know, finding that inspiration, I think, is also just a great tool to yeah. have. Like introducing actual food. That works too. Having a menu or a snack menu that goes with whatever your campaign or episode is that day. Yeah, or a soundtrack. That would be cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I I also love the the elements of, you know, having the tarot as part of um, the story. I just think that that could be a really cool way to like move your story along or to, to let the players know things that they maybe wouldn't have known before. Just, I, I, I love it adding any kind of element like that into into the games because I love it in real life too. So I always like to see my reality and my fantasy collide like that. Yeah, uh, I've done it before where it's like pull a quick three card for a character journey and be inspired by that to be like, yeah, you know what? That sounds like a really good uh, character arc that can happen. I'll lay the way and if that's something that they respond to, then cool. Yeah, but it's, yeah, uh, it's actually pretty fulfilling to do it that way. Are you saying like tarot readings for characters, for player yes. characters? Yes. That's, yes. Oh, that's I've, so cool. I love it. <laughs> I've done that for my players uh, a number of times. So uh, always uh, if they wanted it. <laughs> yes, definitely. Greg would be like, mm, no. <laughs> well, for a, for a fantasy, maybe, sure. That's maybe fair. your character would, though. Yeah. Well, and in the mm-hmm. in the world of, you know, most D&D, there are ghosts and uh, ley lines and deities and gods like that. And so, yeah, for a for a uh, character who is in that world, uh, it just would be a wonderful way to connect them to some of that stuff, some of those bigger plot themes that you might be coming up with as a, as a D&D too, like using it as prophecy 
would be really interesting. Like, oh, you drew that. No one's ever drawn that before. And that means that you're the chosen one or something like that. Exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you don't have to be afraid of only just having, what is it, the deck of many things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that deck. Oh, my gosh. That's going to be a campaign around, ender, but... that one. <laughs> 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 and I love how Curse of Strahd leaned into that uh, whole reading idea, too, uh, to show where the plot points and information are. And uh, have you have you had have you run Curse of Strahd before, Mark? Yeah. I haven't run it yet, but um, I'm in talks with a couple of places that want to run it and have me as a player. And I'm like, you already have your GM for that? Because if you don't, <laughs> but no, I, I love playing as a player as much as I do as a GM. It's it's a co-creating experience. So, yeah, exactly. What what kind of characters do you gravitate towards? Well, it it all depends. Like my, I've noticed that my characters during pandemic have been very very cathartic, like uh, kind of like I need to mess with other people's minds. So I became like an uh, aberrant mind sorcerer, like a tiefling sorcerer. And that was like my major character that I played with uh, throughout pandemic. But other times I, I've been an artificer. I kind of, do you remember the Emperor's New Groove? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Yzma? <laughs> it was, I was Yzma as a D&D character, as an oh, artificer. Cool. So it's just like, you know, this crazy, that. wacky, you know, is, is, is a super villain. But, you know, they're just kind of fun to be around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just kind of like, hey, drink this. And be like, wait, why? What is it? Don't worry about it. Drink it. <laughs> it's good for you. So I, I've tended to gravitate towards like um, those kind of cathartic uh, bard locks have really been like my bread and butter since pandemic because it's literally because uh, with bard, you know, how you can, if you go into the College of Eloquence, you can. Uh, start doing like really messing around with people as opposed to doing bardic inspiration, then you can do, um, oh my gosh, I for, I'm forgetting it, unsettling words. So mm. like utilizing that, it's like messing with people's minds, but then for your party, you sing and you're like uh, inspiring and it's it's all good like that. And then Eldritch Blast. So, <laughs> so those, those are, I've been more of a magic user since pandemic than I have ever been any time in my life. Interesting. I never really thought about the people kind of gravitating towards different character types because of their, you know, the current, the real world situation. I wonder or if more people were, through. yeah, I wonder if more people during the pandemic played clerics or something. Like, I just feel like Ooh. I need some healing or to help. I just want to help people. I made a lot more know. hermits in the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> people who have been on their own for a long time and just want to talk. sounds very therapeutic yes exactly i just want to talk uh so one of the things you do is this uh horror video and podcast series uh something scary uh talk about that i i want to know uh you know what what it's like being you know both the kind of creator and producer of something like that Oh, I didn't create this series. I took okay. over. I took over for the creator uh, when she moved on to other projects, and then she like scouted me, and then I signed on with the company. Oh, cool! Uh, and then yeah, and then I was a host producer, st- head story editor, and uh, vo vo talent 
for it as well. Uh, in any case, it's a streaming web series. Uh, we drop a new animated horror video every week on Tuesdays. Whoa. And there is also an accompanying uh, podcast, which is additional stories. It's, you know, narrated. And uh, it it seemed, I, I really love that it, it hit people in like the right way during pandemic. Like, got so many messages from people where having the, this is 30 minute podcast, like having these horror stories be comforting for them in a way. Um, <laughs> I, I have a big connection with horror. Like mm-hmm. uh, I, I've always said um, horror is life. It's because when you think of like going back to George Romero, like zombies are a social commentary of yeah. our times you know, how, how we want to fight zombies, how we fight zombies, how the zombies are portrayed. Are they runners? Are they ragers? Um, kind of a deal. It's, it's social commentary mixed in with that jump scare and fright and the, what would you do if that humans just love to fall into? So with something scary, I've had the, well, the, literally the honor of being able to be part of this process of taking fan submitted horror stories from around the world. It's a multicultural and um, uh, female focused uh, kind of like stories and to be able to, well, scare people. Yes. (laughs) But also be able to change the, the tone of some of the things that we grew up with where, you know, it'd be things like, um, small things like boys and girls, like just that term, be like, oh yeah, boys and girls, but boys and girls should be adolescents. So like age uh, from imagery to like 13, 12, 13, that's boys and girls. Then it's young ladies, teenagers, um, young adults, co-eds, you know, uh, ladies, men, uh, and, and, and so on and so forth. It's like little things like that, where it's just, don't call a 22 year old a girl. Mm. You know, so just putting that and putting that mindset uh, in stories and then having our stories be very inclusive. So along with the horror, you know, we have non-binary, we have a different gender expression and sexual identity and uh, gender identity and, and everything like that, along with the, the horror, it's just paying attention to it. And, and also listening when other people are like, Nope, you got that wrong. It's like, that is, that's completely off mark. And be like, thank you so much. Retract and reshoot kind of a deal. Oh, that's interesting. What's, uh, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but like, what were some of those things were, which were eye-opening for you that you were like, oh, okay, we need to, we need to reassess here and, and, and go in a different way. Cause honestly, you know, that happens in so many different genres and mediums and and things like that. And I'm, yeah, I'm really curious because horror, horror deals with the uncomfortable all the time. Mm -hmm. And so you want, it's such a hard, uh, you know, target to hit every single time, especially when you're on a weekly podcast uh, and a weekly series, there's content needs to come out. And, uh, you know, yeah. Are you, can you talk a little bit more specifically about that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I believe it was last year or the year before that. The years have melded together. <laughs> time is a circle. It is, uh, it's, time doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, there, it was, I believe, for a mental awareness month. Uh, and we, well, I was I was pushing for us to do a story from a neurodivergent point of view. Uh, we don't, we didn't have anybody like that on staff. So we did a reach out and it turned out that one of our animators partner uh, had uh, autism. And we were like, okay, so here's a story idea that we have in mind 
you know, um, for anything? Is there anything you can like help us out with this, you know, uh, you know, be our consultant on this? And then they ended up writing a story for us. They were like, okay, I understand what you're trying to do there. It's not that. It's this. And then we have the story, I believe it's called Shadows or What Comes Out of the Shadows mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And I found it very enlightening to, to have it be, because it's not too, too often, like with horror, we get, we get drawn into the negative space of things like, oh, the refrigerator door is open. Someone's behind it. And then if nobody's behind it, be like, well, they'll be behind the cabinet door. You know, like we were anticipating this yeah. night, this next jump scare or something like that. Something with shadows is like, no, literally all of the world was, you see it in a different light. Mm. It's not so much the jump scare so much as the way that this person depicted their world is that the way that we look at horror movies like that, like, oh, there has to be something there because I know that there's something there, but that's like that with the world all the time, all wow. around them. And that was just very eye-opening for me. Not that their not that their world is a horror show. Don't don't take what I'm saying from that. And I might not be articulating it properly, but it was just having that be baseline, mm-hmm. like all the time. So that's so yeah. interesting, and also really creepy to think like, oh, how well, what you know, what it's like to be in that situation, and then that's where your goal of trying to change perspectives through storytelling and horror really came through. It makes you rethink your body language towards people, what you feel is normal and then how somebody else would take it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of a deal. I just read a story yeah. on Twitter recently from, uh, it was a thread of neurodivergent people talking about how some can uh, hear high frequency signals uh, more than others can. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's so intense that it's, it's, it's painful. Uh, so just hearing like a, a TV on or some light bulbs that vibrate on can be, you know, what, what you're describing of like this intense, always on pain. And yeah. then being nerve in public. Nerve-wracking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, but to them, it's it it's not just nerve-wracking. It's it's an actual like, ow, you're hurting me. And uh, trying to express that to someone and them just being like, oh, yeah, I don't hear it. Shrug. Yeah. And then like right. that's horrifying too. To just be like, nobody cares that you are hurting so much right now because they just don't have that frame of reference of what their the, the person's uh, uh, neurodivergent person's reality is. Yeah, or worse, they're like, "Oh, just ignore it. Uh, if you don't away. think about it, it, it'll go away." It's like, no, no, no. Maybe for you, it does. For yeah. you, it does. Yeah. So very fascinating. Yeah. It's like uh, having using horror as the lens for which people can see. A, how other people experience life and is it's just like something is just clicking with me hearing you talk about that like painting this picture as like a 30 minute horror story but then realizing like no this is truly how some people are going through the world it's like oh you know like it's just i mean a, a, it's a just interesting shift. that like yeah and it's interesting to do it through horror um i mean i think that's really powerful and a, a great way for you know like you said for people to experience what life is like for other people yeah. i love that you listened to to the neurodivergent person and was like that yeah that that makes so much yeah sense. heck yeah well it's just it expands my experiences and isn't that what we're here for isn't that how you live your best life yeah yeah D- D can do that too to a to a degree <laughs> and uh 
D&D also, I feel like dungeon masters could get a lot out of something scary as well. Just these could be turned into some really cool one shots as well. Uh, Yes, yes, it can. And I don't think I haven't started having that conversation with people. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Have there been any in particular that stood out to you like, oh, I want to I want to get this going. I want to see this play out literally at my table. Oh yeah, uh, there's uh, one one that I co-wrote uh, with my friend Dennis Culver. He writes for DC, and he was on the staff for a while. Uh, and uh, we co-wrote this one. Uh, it's like a family reunion, uh, family reunion where it's like uh, it's black family reunion. I'm black for anybody who's listening and just like <laughs> what? Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was. Then announced of a family reunion where it was it was all this pressure of like, oh, okay, so you're going to be getting into the family business, right? Just like everybody else. Be like, um, maybe. What's the family business? We'll tell you later. Okay, let's go over here and da da da. And you know that build up, and then all of a sudden everybody disappears. And uh, did I mention that this is in a at an abandoned carnival that they rented? Yes. Oh, so <laughs> so then like walking around and then ending up confronting this um, ancient demon, like this 200 plus uh, year old ancient demon that had possessed this carnival ride, this carousel, and had been in an earlier story, we had set it up, had had been capturing souls and trapping them uh, inside the carousel, literally feeding off of the screams of the the loss and the abandoned. And uh, yeah. having this character then confronting this carousel, the carousel it had its fill, uh, the demon bursts out from the carousel and starts going towards, you know, this individual, you, the main character. You look around, you f- your family has abandoned you. Nobody's there. It's just you and this demon. You have nothing that you can do. The demon is coming straight for you. Did I mention it looks like a giant demonic clown? Oh, oh man. Stop it. <laughs> Come on. It's huge. It's and it's coming at you. And then your family appears. Your family appears and they're like, the time has come. The sacrifice must be made. And you're looking around at your family as they're looking back at you. And then they stand next to you to then ward off this demon. The demon is the sacrifice. The family business is hunting down these demons that are trying to take over the world, that are trying to eat our souls and eat our spirits a little bit at a time each time. And family stands beside you while you take this demon down and cast it off into the uh, into the netherworld. And then they turn to you and like, we couldn't describe it before. You could only experience it. So yeah, I co-wrote that with my oh. friends and I would love to turn that into <laughs> a one shot. Yeah, so. It's got a little witch-like carnival vibe Mm -hmm. going with it as well. Um, The idea of, you know, setting something at an abandoned carnival or even an actual working carnival is just inherently (laughs) scary. Um, (laughs) Even if, like, nothing scary, like, it happens, it's just being in that environment, I'm just going to be on edge. And, like, a clown just, you know, walking by me on his way to take a smoke break, I'm just going (gasps) to... Oh, God, he's here to kill us. But no, he's yeah. not interested in me. He's just off on the break, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, if you yeah. if you want to watch it, it's called Killer Family Business. Awesome. It's on YouTube. Writing yeah. it down. <laughs> and I, that would work so well as the player characters being uh, misdirected, as being like, oh, the family business is something that's 
perhaps not what you th- well not what we thought it was, but could be mm-hmm. you know not uh, not good, and then <laughs> turning out that they are actually the ones who are fighting against this demon. Uh, really, really cool. You have to um, experience think, it. Yeah, yeah. And if, as if, <laughs> as a player who wouldn't know any of that story, like getting that that kind of reveal from uh, from their agency of what's going on there, I just think that would be uh, a really great experience. Uh, and then it would also hit those uh, emotional buttons because it's like we've we've all had that where we've had family that has stood beside us and then family that has not mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And to have that kind of adventure happen and have that kind of ending with it, I think would be cathartic for a number of people. Absolutely. <gasps> and carousels also. <laughs> Creepy. Down with clowns. Just really, yeah. <laughs> Shelly had a really great childhood, if it sounds like. <laughs> I like, there is something... I. That was always a little creepy to me about carousels. And I'm from, um, as Greg knows, Binghamton, New York, which is uh, nicknamed the carousel capital of the world. Oh. We had like a lot of carousels and they were all free to ride. Um, in because exchange- they were stealing your souls. and they, Yeah, in exchange for your soul, clearly. <laughs> but which they, it was actually, if you brought a piece of litter, then you could ride it for free. So it was like a way of like cleaning up the park and also getting a free ride on a carousel. And there was one in particular and that there was, it was like a very fairy tale theme. And there was all of this like uh, fairy tale art as around the carousel. And there was one picture that was just really terrifying to me because fairy tales, you know, they obviously can go very dark and the way that this artist decided to depict fairy tale art, he went real dark I don't remember, like, I can't picture it, but I can picture, like, the feeling of, like, every time my horse spun by that piece of art, I was like, ugh, it just creeped me out. And I think it's always just tainted my feeling of being on a carousel, because that was the one I, my mom took me to the most often, or my friends and I rode the most often. It was closest to my house. And every time I would be on that carousel, I've been like, I have to see that stupid piece of art. And I could have just looked away, and yet I didn't. It was just, like, almost every time I turned my head, it was when I was spinning by that piece of art well think of it this way the time that you would have looked away is when it could have crept closer to you oh god (laughs) i was protecting myself oh yeah now it's even creepier (laughs) you're welcome for that you really are an expert (laughs) you really are you're very very good Horror yeah. storytelling. So yeah, I mean, we, as Shelley alluded to it earlier, but like, how do you have any advice or or ways that uh, dungeon masters can use these type of horror storytelling elements? Obviously, there's the Ravenloft setting and things that uses a lot mm-hmm. of those things. But there, there, there. To me, there was always there's always like a um, a knack or or something that that is necessary for dungeon masters to really pull off horror in a in a Dungeons and Dragons setting. So like what you know you've done it a couple times here just in using mm-hmm. your voice. Like how, how, do you have any any advice for for people who are listening to to try to infuse some of that into their games? Yeah, definitely. Um, I I would get out of the mindset of thinking that horror has to be vampires and zombies uh, and the such. Yeah. I would. I would explore psychological um, horror with it. Mm-hmm. You know, the the thrilling sense, the anticipation and the tension uh, type of a deal. I mean, obviously, yeah, go, go ahead, zombie and vampire if you want to. But there's, <laughs> there's something to be said about the simple narration that you can do to set up 
it can be a regular scenario that just colors it in a way that will put your players on edge in a good way. Like going back to let's flirt at the tavern. So, uh, you know, so it's like you're describing the tavern. You can start in a, in a jovial kind of way. Be like, yes, the, the silver, the silver edge tavern where um, your party has decided to uh, come. There's this in the corner, this, and there's uh, you know, music. There's something going on with the band though. The, the band is, there's a certain dark light around the band. And as they play, you notice that, Everyone is paying attention to them. That doesn't happen just in any tavern, but but that's not what you're here for. You're here for you know going over to the uh, the bar and oh your favorite bartender is there. And then of course you're you're more than likely your party's going to be like, what's going on with that band though? <laughs> <laughs> so it's just it's just that little psychological edge, and it, you can also use that as a steering tool. Uh, for things. I mean, obviously, parties and worlds are going to go where they're going to go. But if you put a dark thrill to something ordinary, it can expand your world even more than you than you thought possible. And mm-hmm. it doesn't always have to be a, a dagger in the dark or, you know, um, a mind flare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't Do you, always have to be that. Do you think it always has to pay off? Or could you really just be like, there's something going on with this band and not actually ever tell them? <laughs> is it just like tactics to just keep them on edge or do you really have to pay it off? Um, I, I would suggest having an element that you can bring back at a different time. Like, let's say that they decide not to go with the band. You can be and like, and as the band ends, uh, there's a tinkling of, uh, uh, it sounds like three bells that's in the, in the air and it hangs there uh, as in the tavern uh, the tavern, usual tavern uh, entourage or atmosphere returns kind of a thing. Uh, later on in the in the adventure, you can have three tingling bells uh, that happen. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then it's like, people are like, what? what? Looking around, be like, oh, no, don't worry about it. There's, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to try to fight uh, the sound of three tinkling bells. So, and then like... <laughs> <laughs> You can continue the adventure. And because you've introduced like that small, very creepy element to it uh, in the regular adventure, your payoff could be, hey, yeah, you got the treasure and everything. There's a type of dark glint to it. You don't really understand why. But uh, as the treasure is handed to you and the king shakes your hand, you hear three tinkling bells that are in the air. And they sound triumphant. (laughs) (laughs) man yes i love that so it's almost like dropping things i mean you could certainly have it all planned out as 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 a dungeon master and that you're going to do it exactly that way but like the way you just were were improving that it just seemed like it was like well i just said three twinkling bells and maybe that comes up later maybe it doesn't and so it's just planting not necessarily red herrings but just like seeds mm-hmm. that uh you know again reading the room of just being like oh that i got them with that one mm-hmm. let's continue going another one may land and you may not get them or you might get one or two players oh and yeah like, yeah good point right yeah. and so you know you just kind of again see what works yeah i mean it's 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 co-creating it really mm-hmm. is so but yeah, I, uh, my suggestion would be adding a dark element, a dark thrill. It doesn't have to be a BBEG, um, but who knows? It might end up turning into one because of what your players end up co-creating with you. 
So have fun with it. Horror is life and it's, it can be in everything. (laughs) It really can. Everything's so horrifying. (laughs) (laughs) There's just, there's different nuances to it. That's just all it is. I mean, uh, Jordan (laughs) Peele really brought that home to like mainstream audiences. So, you know, bless, bless that man for that. So I couldn't, I couldn't watch us speaking of creepy carnivals uh, from that trailer. (laughs) That trailer just was enough for me to be like, nope, I am going to nope out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's good to know your boundaries. Exactly. I'll yes. watch it one day with my kids and then they'll, they'll get all freaked out. It'll be your, great. your daughter would love it. She asked me every day to be like, dad, can we watch this? Can we watch, you know, that? so far it's been Jaws and Stranger Things, but she really wants to watch it. She keeps asking me yeah. to on it. And the, like, mm. the, little, the little slitherer over here is obsessed also <laughs> with Pennywise. Never saw it, but has gravitated towards that character. Um, him and, and Greg's daughter play. They Whenever they're they together, play Pennywise. they play Pennywise. Pennywise oh. is here. Lock the doors. It's it's creepy. I'm very easily scared, but I do like horror. I, but... It doesn't take much, obviously. Like, we were just about to start the interview, and I jumped when my door opened. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That yeah. was, no, that was, that was like your door literally just opened. We couldn't see what was going on. And then there was like a leg and a shoe crawling across the floor. That got so me too. Creepy. So, <laughs> oh. Oh. He's so, a natural-born talent. He's going to be the one who's going to start is, he's gonna mastering be, your horror he will, game. He will play Pennywise in a movie one day. That's 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 the goal here. Or be a professional wrestler. Um, that's his other. <laughs> Perfect. Or both. So, yes. Or both. He I mean, both. The Rock the un- and John Cena exist. The, you can be yeah, both un- a wrestler and favorites. a Hollywood star. Yep. Yep. The Undertaker is you know yeah, horror. The Big and Show. Wrestling. Yes. Uh-huh. I mean, obviously, and there's that big connection between D and D and wrestling, anyway. So he will, he, yeah, he's, he's already halfway in there. <laughs> um, I I love this idea of like I'm I'm a very fledgling dungeon master myself, and really, mm-hmm. I'm only comfortable DMing for kids. So this none of this is probably appropriate for them. Uh, well, it I guess unless be. it's like Greg's daughter and my son. But yeah, you can go goosebumps level with it. Yes, <laughs> I. I have actually found some goosebumps to be actually quite scary. Um, slappy. Uh, um, like mannequins, scary. Like yes. drop them into any, uh, or uh, what are they called? What is slappy? He's the, uh, why am I? Ma- marionette? Ventriloquist uh, No, dummy? not marionette. Yeah, ventriloquist dummy. dummies. Those yeah, the ventriloquist doll. So creepy. Like what kind of nightmare would it be if you just saw its little mouth moving, but nobody was controlling it? Okay, the other uh, thing that entire ugh. franchises have been built on that concept. Just yes, but I mean like yeah. in in your D&D and uh mannequins that animate, um that's also I know a trope used and horrifying. I also find for some reason white gloves very scary because I had a nightmare as a child that um I found white gloves on my my bedroom windowsill and I believed it was true and real like it was like a very lucid dream mm-hmm. and ever since horrifying the mm. idea of that so i always think like how as a dungeon master like, how could i incorporate these the white gloves but now i'm thinking like you're tinkling bells white gloves there's gotta well, be uh putting a little i mean and this is with your comfort level with it um your scariest character can be one that always wears white gloves like you can you can convey your terror to your to your crew to your players in that way where 
your evilest characters always have white gloves on to the point where they'll be conditioned so that when they see white gloves, when they see they'll white be like, gloves. can't trust this person. Nope. It's like, this is a big nope. We're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> die, Mickey Mouse. Die. <laughs> <laughs> we and don't trust because, you. Because white gloves exist in real life, you can do the type of thing when you do play in person again. You know, just Leave them. Ugh, leave, leave them, them on, on the, the table. On the windowsill. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that we're making you sweat, Shelly, just by talking about this. I know. And I'm like, I actually am having fun. I love this, but I'm also like, oh, this is so creepy. I'm glad it's daylight right now. (laughs) (laughs) For now. For now. For now. It's going to come back. Definitely. (laughs) Oh, amazing. So you, I mean, so obviously horror is a big part of of everything that you do, but you also have this big heroic, you know, Marvel, DC kind of, you know, uh, thing going. So... Um, I've loved watching all those movies and kind of been infusing a lot of that in my in my gameplay as well too. So, are there any ways that we can, um, you know, make make? I mean, obviously, D and D players are the 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 superheroes of their story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I just love the way that uh, that you know shared universe idea has happened. Have you ever experimented with with that by having multiple groups or multiple things like all being in the same universe uh playing together oh definitely uh <laughs> uh there uh, for uh geek and sundry i did uh, a weave campaign for them uh, we mm. did like a three episode arc of a of uh i came up with this concept i called it uh custodians of the universe <laughs> <laughs> i love it already and it was in the very vein of Guardians of the Galaxy, where it had this, uh, you know, ragtag bunch of like uh, an anti-hero villainy, you know, they're they're in it for the buck kind of a thing, and had the players doing that, tra- having to travel through time to uh, battle a BBEG that was actually their first quest giver. Uh, they only found out that they were the BEG BBEG once they went, you know back in time and discover that they had to take out their first friend to be able to save the universe. So see that kind of like psychological Mm. twist with it. But along the way, there were things like the using hot sauce as a weapon. I mean, uh, I mean, it really, it really got into it. And, and because I have such a huge background with comics, not just Marvel, DC, you know, image, dark horse and, and such like that big nerd with, with comic books, it's always easy to pull something as long as it's, you know, I try to be very respectful with it. I have had a, a weave campaign where I had, <laughs> I had someone um, go into an alternate dimension where they were on the uh, Starship Enterprise. Uh, no they way. walked into the cargo bay and there were uh, Cybermen versus Daleks in there. <laughs> <laughs> and Jean-Luc Picard trying to broker a piece <laughs> between the two of them. So, yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of fun with elements like that. And it's it's really fun when you do something like that and it really sparks with someone. And then someone else are like, I don't get it. And be like, oh, okay, let me show you what it is. <laughs> so then you introduce them and be like, yeah, so here's Doctor Who. <laughs> And then Here's it all the comes point. full circle, like exactly. what you were just talking about, introducing or, you know, being excited when people introduced you to their fandoms. And now this is how the cycle continues. Yeah, It does. It's, oh, it's the awesome. cycle of nerd life. 
And that and no one no nerd does not like I'm using triple negatives here. No nerd does not like <laughs> references, right? Like stuff to be like, oh I you know, everyone's that that uh Leo meme of pointing at the screen and like I recognize what you're saying there. And when you mentioned, you know, Picard and Daleks, like I get it all and it's all amazing because it's all self-referential as us as all nerddom. And yeah, I I think that's a lot of what has happened in pop culture over the last, you know, Two or three decades, right? It's just been this like resurgence of, of there being, uh, you know, sometimes to our detriment, where we have things like, why are we rebooting this again? Uh, but I love that, ref- you know, that kind of feel is part of what makes um, this speculative fiction that we love so much uh, palpable for us, is because we're like, oh yeah, I understand where we're building off each other and where everyone is is inspired by each one of these different things, and we become better storytellers if we're not just laser focused on only heroic fantasy or I only like Marvel things, you know, like I think having this wide breadth of uh, of fandoms that you do just makes your storytelling that much better and more, more, you know, vibrant. Yeah. I mean, it's, (laughs) I, I love it obviously because it's my life, the mixed genre life. Uh, It can be, (laughs) it can be a little difficult when you're trying to like do a TikTok video or TikTok series because then it's like, what do I focus on? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, what's my niche? I I don't have everything. That, that, that is the thing. I, I have, (laughs) I have the, the mixed niche. I don't know. (laughs) You're well-rounded. Multi-niche. Yeah. You're multi-classing. That's yeah. You're, there, you're, there it is. I'm multi-classing. Yeah. You're the fighter mage, thief, cleric, warlock bard that is uh, going to kick some butt. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, uh, awesome. It's been nice uh, uh, hearing all of these inspirational things. I feel a little bit creeped out, a little bit excited, a little bit uh, inspired. Interested, inspired, exactly. So thanks for coming on. This has been really, really nice. Yeah, uh, Greg and Shelly, I very much enjoyed this. I love nerd conversations, so and I'm glad that we got to creep out Shelly a little bit as well. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and also, I don't know if you guys caught it, but my afterwards, my son walked in here with his nose bleeding, so I, mean, <gasps> oh my God. I really don't know what's happening out that door. Who knows? <laughs> his nose <laughs> is bleeding, and then there were the sound of three bells playing as his nose oh, was bleeding. No. And like, he's going to tell me he got punched in the face by a white glove. Oh, <laughs> 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 That's why you needed your checkbook. That's right. We still don't know. <laughs> they asked they, for money. They only take checks. Come on, mom. You got to help me out here. <laughs> They're really old people who only take checks <laughs> and wear white gloves. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It's an old lady. Clearly, we have just described this villain. A white, The white gloves, the, the need for a check. Yes. <laughs> I don't, awesome. The slithering on the floor. I don't know. But anyway, Yes. Well, inspired. Yeah. We are inspired. Because you do so many awesome things, Marquia, how can folks like find out about all of the shows you're hosting, more about something scary, all of the above? How can how can people follow? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, go ahead and follow me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Marquia McCarty. That's M-A-R-K-E-I-A-M-C-C-A-R-T-Y. TikTok and uh, Twitch is Darth Marquia, as in the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for that one, and if you are a Facebook person, it's Marquia TV. And uh, yeah, if you're interested in something scary, go to youtube.com slash snarled. S N A R L E D. And that will, that's all the YouTube videos right there. And podcasts is wherever you listen to your podcast. 
Spotify, iTunes. It's it's all that. <laughs> Wherever you get Dragon Talk, you'll be able to find the yep. Something Scary podcast there too. Perfect. Double shot. I'm signing uh, up. I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, right. I'm 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 smashing all those like and subscribe buttons right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, thanks again, Mark. Yeah, this has been great. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank I've you. enjoyed. <laughs> what an interesting conversation with Markia. Uh, she's just chock full of ideas and inspiration for making things happen. I love it. Wonderful inspiration. I also predict big things, <laughs> Markia, as well. I will be giving you inspiration, uh, she says, to all of you listening out there. Yes, definitely. Big things for all of all of our listeners. So, Go ahead and follow along with everything she's doing. And if you want to follow what's happening in the world of D&D, one of the best ways is to go to DungeonsAndDragons.com and uh, see what's coming with announcements and all of the fun things. You can follow along at Wizards underscore D&D on Twitter. Same on Instagram, like that Facebook page, like and subscribe on YouTube. Lots of great videos there coming from Todd Kenrick, uh, especially around Call of the Nether Deep. So if you're interested in finding out more from the design team, no better place than going to the uh, D&D YouTube channel, uh, which is youtube.com slash D-N-D, the letter N. Easy. And uh, check it out there. Um, I can be followed at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. I am at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. You should change your uh, handles, I think, to Drunky Two Shoes. I think that's... Uh, Maybe Drunky needs her own channels. Oh, I like that a lot. You do? I Maybe. do. And Daryl. She's now channeling her violence and anger into doing... I think you wanted to try and attempt kick a em. roundhouse kick, is it, yes. is it what you said? Uh, yes, get that. For that, unfortunately, the doppelganger in front of you... It's taking the shape of the blonde-haired, Fabio-looking ship captain, uh, that uh, smuggler that you first encountered when we were started this whole Drunky Two-Shoes uh, adventure. Uh, and he's trying to charm you with smiles and uh, no. says, you liked me before, why don't you like me now? First of all, you don't know that I liked you. I thought I was actually playing it quite coy. And as a tabaxi, you never really know what I'm thinking. Second, how dumb are you, doppelganger? I know how your tricks work now. You're not him. You're Come not give us a him. hug. And he tries to, uh, he tries to um, uh, restrain you uh, and, and grapple you. Oh, no, I don't think so. Uh, he rolled a 14 uh, strength check to try to uh, What the hell? What, what do I do? You? How do I... See if I am not grappled. You want to roll a contested strength check. So you are rolling, you know, it's a d20 plus your strength. Oh my God. 11. 11. All right. So he grabs a hold. You're shackled too. So it's it's very difficult uh, uh, for you. So he just grabs a hold of you and uh, he's going to try and throw you down to the ground actually uh, to get you off of the ladder. It's been a while since I have felt a warm embrace. So maybe I... (laughs) Maybe uh, I am a little suspect. <laughs> uh, so he rolls a uh, 17 uh, to attempt to throw you down. Uh, what is your... Um, is that- I think that's another contested strength check. So why don't you do it one more time? Oh, six. Six. So you take four <laughs> points of damage as he slams you down Damn. onto the floor right beside all of the corpses uh, from this uh, melee. And some of them which are just unconscious, but some of them are... 
uh, deceased, of course, and it's really gross. There's just like a doppelganger muck, uh, and there's some of them are like <laughs> bubbling and spitting uh, as they uh, assume their regular forms. Um, some of them are the guard that was knocked unconscious uh, that came down here. So that's where you are in the thick of it. What do you attempt to do? Um, so I'm like being rolling around on the ground with this dude. Yeah, he's in, just in he the kind goo. of looked at like a threw you down and caused damage to you. Are um, my oh, are my hands still shackled? Yeah, are they shackled in front of me or behind me? In front of you. Can I just like let loose a firebolt? Yes. Am I like? Bah! Okay, I'm just going for it. Okay. Uh. <laughs> 23. 23 is a hit. Nice. How much damage you do? That is going to be uh, 12. 12 damage on a fireball? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's 2d10. Oh, because you, you, you're higher level than I thought you were. Yes. Excellent. I'm multi-class. Uh, all right. So you uh, do 12 points of damage, and it just it, it actually hits him right in the chest. Uh, Hell yeah. exposed... A uh, chest which had uh, very little chest hair to begin with, but now that is all <laughs> going up in smoke around him. Did it look him. like some stubble? Like you could tell he shaved his chest? Totally. That's totally. what I, yeah. yeah, with but, like a, just a couple of wisps right here yeah. for effect. Uh, those are all now singed and destroyed. Some, some ingrowns. <laughs> you basically did electrolysis on his chest with this firebolt. <laughs> uh, so he screams and is even more angry with you, and you can tell he is, uh, yeah, that is it. Uh, you know, he, he kind of loses. He drops the um, shipboat captain voice and says, "You will be destroyed, just like the rest of your filthy city." And he's going to come at you and do more damage to you. Meanwhile, uh, you hear uh, Hugh and Cry go up from upstairs as Samson. The voices of both Samson and uh, Daryl uh, seem to be—you you can't really tell—they're just shouting. There's just uh, something going on upstairs. They better be shouting at the cavalry that has arrived to help us. We'll find out next time with Drunky, Daryl, and Samson. What happens to them next? Help! Help!